0: Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations Podcast. Today's guest is Malcolm Nicholson. Malcolm is the head of school at Srinity International School in Hyderabad in India. Malcolm, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Great to be here.
0: Now we are both cricket tragics. we've just learnt and spent a solid ten minutes pre-podcast chatting about all things cricket. So we'll see uh, we'll see how easily we can link. Uh, any leadership talk in this podcast to cricket? I'll be I'll be working very hard. Uh, but let's um, let's first give um uh, it'd be great for listeners to get an idea of uh, I guess who you are and what you're doing at the moment. A, a bit of a window into what it's like to be Malcolm, head of school in
1: Hyderabad. <laughs> thank you very much, and thank you for not talking so much about cricket. Um, it's obviously a delicate subject for an English cricket fan talking to an Australian at the moment. (laughs) Um, As you can tell, I'm British, although um, you'll, you'll hear from my life story that I've moved around a lot. And that actually started at birth. My, my parents were based in Zambia. uh, So I was born in Zambia, grew up there for just a short while, and then grew up in the Northeast of England in Middlesbrough, uh, which we fondly refer to as the home of European football. And, um, Growing up there, you know, I had some big influences that I think actually impacted what I believe and, and how I, I behave now as a leader. Uh, I was in the Boys' Brigade um, for many, many years until I was 18, and I did the Duke of Edinburgh Award Scheme. And both of those uh, experiences had profound effects on me and impacts where um, I, I learned about service, um, volunteering, uh, working for others. and and teamwork and collaboration and all those kind of skills that you don't necessarily learn in school. You know, I did everything from trying to entertain children on uh, the children's ward at Middlesbrough general hospital through to digging ponds by a nuclear power station and everything in between. So I think those, those were formative years. I went to Edinburgh university in, in Scotland where I was in the officers' training corps for a while, and again, learned a lot about leadership, but without actually ever thinking about the art of leadership, Um, just wanting to be more influential, I suppose. Maybe there's something in my psyche. But um, I enjoyed leading, Mm. and I enjoyed the idea of command tasks and leading platoons, um, and so on. Um, From there, I became a teacher, a science teacher. I worked in the UK, in Liverpool, for three years and then moved on to an international teaching job in Nassau in the Bahamas. I was lucky enough to work, live in the Bahamas for four years, where, incidentally, I represented the Bahamas as a footballer. Believe it or not, wow. and uh, not that I'm not that I'm very good, but I did. Um, then I, I then got some of the the best advice I've ever had, and this is where a lot of my leadership thinking uh, is based upon. Is My my head at that point, Dennis McKinnon, was an amazing man. And he, he showed such empathy, such compassion and understanding for everybody in the school community. And I loved it there. But he said, look, for the betterment of your career, you've just got to get out. You've got to get out, learn, get new experiences and go. And much as I enjoyed it, I took his advice, best advice I ever had, and I left. Wow. After four years, and I went to Thailand and worked at NIST International School in Bangkok. And that's where my leadership journey started. And it's also where my connection with the International Baccalaureate began. The IB, International Baccalaureate, provides curriculum for international schools around the world. And NIST was teaching their programs. And it was at that point where I got to, to meet some some great people and start to learn about leadership. And people like Adrian Watts, Dave Monk, and, and other colleagues showed me that that having a vision is great and how to have a vision and how to communicate that vision, but that you can't actually get anywhere with your vision unless you, you show humility, humbleness, and get buy-in. So I learned a lot as a, as a leader then. I was lucky enough to get involved with the IB community and, and get a role with the IB itself. And at that time, uh, they were based in Cardiff in Wales. So I moved from Thailand after eight years, uh, picked up a wife and a child on the way, and ended up in Cardiff (laughs) with the IB, leading their program development for the the program for their 11 to 16 year olds. So I was responsible for curriculum development for the world for the IB for that age group. Then their, their office relocated to The Hague. I moved over to The Hague in the Netherlands and continued working for the IB for another five years. And at that point, it was the what an experience to be able to develop a vision, to develop an idea of what education could look like, but on a global scale, not just for one school or for one school district or a county or a province, but actually for the world. And then looking to how how to get stakeholder buy-in, stakeholder uh, feedback, and to work out You know, while you've got a thousand different schools, um, you know, one change might impact some schools one way, like in Australia or the U.S., but international schools in Singapore or Peru might be impacted a different way. So the beauty of taking into account stakeholder uh, views and feedback. Um, I then ran my own business for a few years out to the U.K., and I'm now in India at Trinity International School and loving it. We have a wonderful 70-acre campus But what our challenges are now, we have a great community, outstanding students, wonderful teachers, but we've got to navigate the current crisis of COVID, online, offline learning, and we've got to navigate um, what IB programs believe in, because we have IB programs here, and what the parents demand, what universities are looking for, and so how to develop a vision for the future of this school that meets the needs of both contemporary learners and maybe some more traditional um, views of parents and universities uh, in both India and beyond so I'm loving living in India it's a great place to be of course the Hyderabad sunrises on the doorstep is is helpful and yeah uh, on top of that the people are wonderful the food is amazing um, I'm having a great time but navigating COVID is an almighty challenge. So there you go. That's that's me in um, one five minute ramble. That
0: was very succinct. I think uh, I think somehow just from hearing your story of traveling around the world and uh, and the different roles you've had, I feel like uh, just from hearing the story, it's uh, it's inspiring. So I can't wait to dig into it a little bit because I have so many questions I could ask you. But let's start with when you were when you were when you were young and when you were growing up uh, and you said born in Zambia is that right yes, that's right so in those in those formative years, you know when you were i guess uh sort of growing up, are there any you, you mentioned and i love I love how you pinpointed that going there was something in me that always uh like just naturally lent towards influence and yeah. um do you remember any specific moments when you were growing <laughs> up where that that were really really shaped you around that in boys brigade or you know any of those other places that were really sort of pivotal aha moments as a young person
1: yeah i mean it's a, it's an interesting point uh, you I mean, you do wonder what drives you from inside i mean obviously there's a lot of it is is nurture and a lot of it is genetic and i remember in short trousers <laughs> you know at the age of 9 10 11 years old in the boys brigade uh, as the section leader you know, thinking back on that, I didn't have to be the section leader, but I, I realized after a while I liked helping people. And what, what emerged for me was when I, I was working at, it's called Teesmouth Field Center. I was 14, 15 years old. And this is where I was digging ponds next to Harleypool Nuclear Power Station, but also taking yes. uh, local Sunday school and school groups on uh, nature trails around um, the area. It's, it's heavily industrialized. Uh, birthplace of Captain Cook, by the way, Middlesbrough. Heavily yes. industrialised um, part of the UK, but a fascinating connection with ecology. And I used to love taking parties around and leading them. And there's something about helping people to understand, helping people to enjoy. You know, you, you, you I know, are a great representative of Brisbane and potentially Brisbane's <laughs> tourist board. I am the same for Teesside <laughs> and Middlesbrough. Yes. I, I would show people around our bridges and industrial heritage anytime. We're very proud of it. But that it was that kind of passion to to help people to to have fun and to enjoy and to learn that really got me going. And uh, I think it's it might even be a bit to do with being a little bit of a busybody, a bit nosy, I don't know. I always <laughs> felt when I started working in the schools, for example, that I wanted to be involved with more stuff. I wanted people to to buy in and to, to take things forward. I didn't. I never felt like sitting back and just going with the flow. I always felt like I wanted to be more involved. And with each school that I was in, I took on more and more responsibilities all the time because I just wanted to be involved and to get a bigger picture view. I don't know what it is. Something inside me drove me. But I think that the Boys' Brigade was the, the first big thing, followed by Duke of Edinburgh, which was at the same time
0: yeah that's it. what I love about that story is how i guess looking back now it's really obvious you can make the links between uh that sort of opportunity to 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 show people around your local area but when you're when you're working with young people like you do in a school or if you're you know if someone has kids or um you know nephews and and nieces and and they're doing those sort of things it's it's hard to see or necessarily make a connection to something like leading a school in another part of the world. But that's what I love about chatting around, uh, you know, people's mm. uh, childhood experiences is because it's in these really, these moments that don't seem to have any sort of leadership, uh, you know, big leadership on them, that it, but that's where the seeds are planted for people to to start you know, discovering and I,
1: and I, I, passion. I agree. And I, I would argue that if you take an, a, a learning environment the best places children learn um, is often not in the classroom. Obviously, there's a lot of learning happens in the classroom. But it's the stuff that happens on, you know, sports trips, arts trips, theater trips, museum trips, outdoor education. You know, stuff that Aussies are particularly good at, you know, going out into, you know, uncomfortable, out-of-your-comfort-zone situations for a week at a time and, and having to be independent and to work with others. They're the times that you learn. And so sometimes I think if you track back to what influenced you to be who you are today, it's those kind of things. I I remember it's the expeditions I did on the North Yorkshire moors with my friends when I was absolutely exhausted, riddled with blisters, you know, lost. um, And on one occasion, wandering across a glider runway, (laughs) which wasn't great. (laughs) Um, It's those moments that you look back on you and you think, yeah, that's the memories I made. That's the learning that I had. And it wasn't necessarily in my my science or maths or humanities classrooms. It was, it was that stuff. And maybe that's what makes us. And maybe for me as an educator, what I am determined to do is to help young people to have as many opportunities beyond the classroom environment as possible. And, and that's one of the issues with COVID now is, is that young people for the last two years have had a limited number of experiences beyond the classroom which is where a lot of the character development comes from that enables them to learn and develop leadership skills
0: yeah it's funny you mentioned that because uh i i think i I had a chat with a when i was at a school the other day um doing some work with them and, and i was chatting about other things but this sort of came up and it really surprised me not being not working day in day out in education with with young people I was really sort of shocked when they talked about some kids who hadn't been able to come back for a long time um, needing to almost be taught again, like how to play with other kids. Uh, Like there were some things in that that they were having to really, like normally you wouldn't have to um, sort of uh, model it too much or really get alongside them and guide them in how to do it, but they were really having to reintroduce some of these things. And I thought I did not even – that didn't even cross my mind. Yeah, imagine the social COVID.
1: skills, the, the negotiation skills, young young kids trying to negotiate who who plays with a particular toy or who plays in the sandpit, you know. Mm. There's a lot of skills there that have been forgotten, I'm afraid.
0: So let's let's fast forward to your time where you took that massive leap and and moved uh, to the Bahamas and sort of that before you were into your first and and maybe in your first official leadership roles, when you went to Thailand and do you, are there any, are there any, are there any moments actually? Yeah. Let me ask this first. Then I'll ask something else. Are there any moments in that season that really come to mind as pivotal? uh, You know, (laughs) I, I really dropped the ball there. And that was when I had a big aha moment about the importance of such and such, or sometimes it's going, I had no idea I was capable of that. But when that person came alongside me, we, um, I, I actually found my feet and really loved it. Like any of those sort of moments in that season?
1: There's a, there's a couple stand out from my days in Thailand. One, I had a very close friend and colleague called Sue Hall, who's from Canberra, actually, in Australia. And, and she, she was a great guide and a mentor and a leader. And I remember at one point she said to me, uh, you're a really good teacher. I said, oh, thank you. Do you know why? I said, no idea. So she had me for the first time in my life at about the age of 31, thinking about why I was quite good at what I did. And, and that was mm. leadership. And I recognized that at the time, is this is what a real leader does. Because I thought, I, I, at the time I thought, I want to become a principal and a vice principal. I want to become a leader. And then I saw how she was supporting me and realized, ah, I'm a long way off because she selflessly gave of herself and her time to guide me to be a better person and a more reflective teacher. So I I learned from her example about the the giving up of your your time, your experience and and your life skills. And the other big one I learned was uh, a colleague called Dave Monk, who's still a friend of mine, wonderful man. And he's ahead in Italy at the moment. And he he was was a vice principal and I'd got a a small coordinator role. And I I wrote an email to all the teachers and I was very proud of this email. And I ran off to him and I said, Dave, what do you think of my email? And he shut the door said, sit down. (laughs) And he, he went through my email and pointed out the number of personal pronouns I had used. I, I, me, me, my, my. And he said you're just coming off as a boastful little boy (laughs) and and that has stuck with it has stuck with me forever it was a hard lesson to learn but it has stuck with me forever so you know when i when i've had um colleagues and 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 bosses subsequently who've talked about my team my organization my school my teachers my managers i thought oh lose the personal pronoun it's not. We're not mm. yours. It's a we and an hour, and and he helped me to see very quickly the nature of leadership as a as a collegial, empowering group thing rather than me, me, my, 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 and to take my ego out of it. And like anybody else, I have an ego, and and I realised that with that one email, I had shown the whole staff that I was an egotistical maniac, and. <laughs> he really really helped me and i've never made that mistake again and i would encourage anyone else to think about the use of pronouns uh, it's one of the best lessons i ever learned and it sticks with me to this day so thank you dave if you're listening
0: that's incredible yeah thank you dave i love that lesson and it's and I, what i love is that that lesson because that wouldn't have been easy for dave you know there would have been that would have been uncomfortable Um, and having, stepping into that moment and, and giving you that feedback and and challenging you on that, not only helped you then it's helped you since then. And now you're sharing it, uh, with, you know, who knows what person's going to pick that up and run with it. I I've actually heard something similar, um, around hiring and talking about humility Mm -hmm. and going, when you're hiring someone, just look for, don't make it a, a black or white sort of rule, but just be aware of the pronouns they're using about. Previous team experiences, previous leadership experiences, and look for the yeah. use of "I," "my," you know, at, or versus "we," and uh, and talking about other people that they worked with. And I think, I think you're, I think you're right. I think it's a, it's a really good self check for anyone out there, and for me, for me included. I'm thinking now, you know, how do we?
1: Yeah, and, and how do we quite communicate? frankly, I'm, I'm glad that I met, I met Dave quite early in my journey. Um, and, and it was, as you say, it, was, it can't have been easy for him, but it was very kind of him. And again, that's the kind of leader that I've always looked up to and always um, you know seen as a role model. is He, he, he exemplifies the idea, like, like Dennis McKinnon that I mentioned earlier, uh, empathy, compassion, humility, but also uh, demanding a lot of respect because he and Dennis could say, that, have the hard conversations, have the tough conversations but you knew that it wasn't personal, that it was coming out of a good place. And, you know, I think we all, as leaders, sometimes you know you've got to have those hard conversations. But if, if your colleague knows that you're coming out, coming at it with, you know, performance improvement, personal improvement as the goal, and it's not a personal attack, then, then you know, we can all take it professionally, um, even if it's hard to do.
0: Yeah, in the in the previous podcast episode to this that I was uh, r- recording, we chatted about the book Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Have you come across that book?
1: No, sorry, say that again.
0: Radical. I might be Australian, <laughs> Australianizing the radical, wow. can, radical, uh, radical candor, radical candor. I I get oh, paid I haven't out come across <laughs> No, it's funny you haven't, because you've yeah. literally just, that's why it brought it back to mind. You just described exactly what that book is about, which is this the four oh. quadrants around caring and challenging, and basically saying uh, leaders who care a lot but aren't willing to challenge might think they're being nice, but that's actually not radical candor, Um that's that you know, say, there's, there's words for it in the book. I can't remember what they are. Uh, and if you, if people listened to the previous episode, we talked a bit more about it. But then you've got a leader who doesn't care and doesn't challenge. And that's obviously, uh, I think, obnoxious is the, is the word they use in the book. Then you've got a leader who's all yes. challenged, but doesn't care. And what you've just described nails that fourth quadrant that the whole book's about, which is what does it look like as a leader? If you want to be a great leader and lead with radical candor, um, then you need to have really high care and care deeply about your people, and be willing to step in and challenge them, which is exactly what you just described.
1: Oh, wonderful! I mean, I, I haven't read it, but it, that sounds brilliant. I are looking at radical candor, um, yes. but you're right you, you can't you can't be the leader who just wants to be popular and to, to say yes, yes, yes. And we've all seen them and learned from them, you know. And, and you know, you, I, I follow football a lot, and you look at a lot of um, footballers who become managers. And you'll hear them interviewed. Who, you know, who are you modelling your your management style on? And a lot of them will say, "Well, it's a little bit of maybe Alec Ferguson, a little bit of Arsene Wenger, a little." You know, they take little bits of everybody mm. that they've they've come across. Um, and I think that's part of of this as well. Is as sometimes as someone who's reporting to a leader, you you do pick up on oh, that you know yeah. I know, for example, when I was at the IB, my line manager clearly found it very difficult to have the hard conversations. Yeah. And so sometimes I had to prompt her to actually say the things that I knew were in her head that she had to say to me uh, because <laughs> it's not easy. And, and for some people it doesn't come very easily to have the hard conversations. For, for me as well, it's something where you just have to, you know, almost have some inner talk and talk to yourself because it, it's not easy and, and not all parts of leadership are Easy or come naturally. There are the unpleasant parts, so um, yeah, we we can't just be the person that listens to the last person that was sitting in front of us and, and nod a lot, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> so radical candor. Thank you. I'll look it yeah. up.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great book, and uh, I, I'm interested to know. Obviously, Dave l- ha- really led you well in that space, yeah. and as you reflect, because I know I know there'll be li- there'll be leaders listening going. How did he do that? How, did, how was he able to give such direct feedback and yet here we are down the track and you're actually, and it's not that it always works out like this, but down the track, you're going, I'm thankful for it. It sounds like you received it relatively well at the time. What was it about how Dave led you that enabled that conversation to happen the way it
1: did? I, th- I think probably the fact is that there had been um, a year or two leading up to that where I developed a great respect and a liking for him. So I already respected him because I'd, I'd seen him as a leader both with uh, young people and with adults uh, in the school community there. So I al- already had that respect for him. And and I think that that's it, that I respected him so much that if he told me... Um, Anything positive or negative about my performance, I would have taken it on board. But he also said it it was very, very clear. He didn't beat about the bush. He didn't uh, waffle around it in any, any way. It was very direct, very to the point. It lasted no more than five minutes. And I, I would question whether he can remember it to this day. It was very quick, but it was so <laughs> concise, so meaningful that it has had a profound effect on, on my uh, own personal views about leadership um, so I think it, it comes down to that respect and just clarity and I, I'm sure that's a lot of uh, people you know a lot of people think about that with with leadership as well is it's clarity of message clarity of vision and, and openness you know I find a lot of the time with certainly the way I, I perform is just constantly communicating and being clear with communication because you know we have a school here with 100 teachers and about another 300 employees beyond that. You've got to be very, very clear on expectations and what is happening. You know, are we, are we learning online next week? No. Are we learning offline? You know, just very, always, always communicating. So I think what Dave had, apart from was my respect, was very good communication skills, very clear, very open.
0: I love that. Very clear, very open communication skills. Say there's a there's someone listening and they're just nodding along, going, "I I have to get better at that." What would your advice be from from your experience being led by people like Dennis and Dave, but now having the opportunity to lead and lead through a global pandemic like COVID? What have you learned about? I, I'm thinking like practically, how do you how do you do that? What have you learned? Are there any things that are sort of your go-to now in in terms of what it looks like to make sure you're communicating
1: clearly and in an open way? Yeah, I think the first thing is listen. Um, I know there's all sorts of cliches around listening more than speaking, but that's it for me. And, you know, when we think about some big decisions have to be made, you know, we've got 600 plus students here, do every decision we make determines, you know, Issues around health, well being, safety, um, learning, teaching, it's all connected. So, decisions have to be very sound. And, and I would never make a decision on my own. Um, so, I think there's one part there is listening listening to, to stakeholders within the community and listening to the leadership team around me. So, no, no decision is mine and mine alone. Um, I, I will listen to everybody. So, listening, um, I think, number one is, is the big one. But then every decision, I always say to the team then, okay, who's going to communicate this and how? What's the best medium? A meeting, uh, a, a video cast, of a podcast, uh, an email, a WhatsApp, an Instagram dance, you know, what's the best form of communication <laughs> for this? So it becomes, by the way, I don't dance, just just in case you wondered. Um, the, you know, what what, so, so I think it's firstly listen, 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 get get buy in, um, make sure that all those people that you listen to know that they that you are listening and that you're not just nodding your head and biding time, and then once the decision's made, be very clear with that. And of course, when you have a community like ours, with uh, it's a multilingual community. Um, not everybody reads email. There's much more of a WhatsApp culture here in India. Um, some people don't read English um, or don't wish to read English, um, from, from me anyway. Um, you've got to think of what are the most effective ways to communicate. So, again, just because maybe a, a long email might suit me, it might not suit the person who's reading it. So there's that side of it. The, the empathetic side of it is to picture yourself on the receiving end of this as well. Uh, whether you're writing to teachers, students or parents or the board. So so for me, listening, clarity of communication and and putting all that lot together, it enables the community to trust. If they know that views are being sought and listened to and acted upon, then they have greater trust in you and the more trust they have in you, uh, the, the easier things are.
0: Yeah, I... I... I really agree with how you've unpacked that. I love the uh, the blue ocean strategy, blue ocean, blue yeah, blue ocean strategy. Uh, the book they talk about, or it might be in blue ocean <coughs> shift, uh, blue ocean shift. One of those two books they talk about how do you how do you sort of engage your whole organisation around significant strategy change? But I think it's the same. It's three E's, and I think it's it's the same for any sort of communication for leaders. Uh, which is the first E is about engaging, which is what you're talking about listening and and really going yeah. big on actually making sure you're hearing from different stakeholders and you're not making a decision as a silo. And then, but that's, sometimes I think we get stuck on that and we just talk about engage, engage, but the, there's actually two other E's that they talk about, uh, which the second one is explain. And it sounds so obvious. It's a bit like that listening cliche, right? But it's... um. There's something I, I think a lot of leaders need to hear is that once you make the decision, sometimes we get a bit scared, and or uh, you know, oh, I don't know how how some people will receive it, so we sort of we don't quite go all out with how we how we actually explain it. And I think um, realizing that if you've engaged people and the community well, then make sure you explain it clearly. If there's a decision in there that some people in the, in the community disagree with, then give an explanation where, you know, where you can around why you made that decision. And then the third one is expectations, which we've been chatting around about as well. So what does this mean in clear terms? What are the expectations moving forward? And um, I, I just love those, those three E's engage, explain, and then expectations, because if we, if you can do that when you're doing any sort of stakeholder engagement, uh, or just generally communicating and thinking in those in those terms, and always starting with listening, it it can it can solve yeah, a I, lot I, of. Complicated I agree. It's a great.
1: It's a great framework to keep in mind, isn't it? The three E's. I, I really like that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite uh, books at the moment. Actually, the Blue Ocean Strategy and the f- follow-up Blue Ocean Shift. Um, great, great. They're probably in my top five at the moment. I just uh, I really love it. Oh, the Sort of books great. I'm rereading yeah they're they're uh, yeah. they're fantastic uh I, i'm interested to ask you about you mentioned dennis mckinnon and i always yeah. love asking people about stories when they've had a leader they go oh as a young sort of person coming through he was a great leader do you do you remember any particular stories of how dennis led that you think that was just the way he did that was amazing like, does anything come to mind
1: I mean, I, I, back in those days, I was in my mid-20s. I was living in the Bahamas. I was having a great lifestyle, I have to, have to say. The lifestyle was maybe uh, a little bit more important to me at that time than my, my career. And um, I ended up being the staff representative um, to be meeting with him about uh, salary negotiations and that kind of a thing. And uh, you can imagine there's me age 26 or so, meeting with him to try to argue that the the staff should have a a pay rise of this that or the other, and that they, they should have these benefits and those benefits. And the way that he he helped me to understand seeing life through a bigger picture, he he really showed me that. You know, if you ask for this, then the consequences are, are not only this, but another thing. And if we do this, then we risk the school in that way. And it was so, he was so gentle and kind and caring in the way that he explained things. I mean, he, he as an experienced leader, must have thought, you know, this young, this young lad, um, I could just fob him off. But he took time to explain to me, this is why we do this. I mean, it goes back to your, the three E's and, and the explain. And I got the rationale and I understood why basically everything that me and the teachers wanted was not possible because the school wasn't in a healthy situation. But that helped me to then take it back to the teachers and explain, we're not getting a pay rise because, but he he helped me and it was it was seeing the bigger picture and realizing that X plus one doesn't make one X, it actually... Can be many, many other things. Two plus two doesn't always make four. If you, if you see what I mean, there, there's, yeah. there's issues and consequences that I just couldn't have pictured. So he helped me with the big picture views. And as I said before, he's the one that said you've got to leave the Bahamas. If you don't leave now, <laughs> you'll never leave. Yeah.
0: Wow. I I think uh, that's incredible that he was so uh, gentle in how he went about it, and also. I think the fact that that's a, that's a tricky, I know there'll be a lot of people listening who might've had some experiences with those sort of meetings and conversations about pay and that can be a real minefield. And obviously the way he, he navigated that with you, like you said, he actually explained it. I, I uh, one thing that, that I just, um, about the three E's in the book, it's part of what they call in the book fair process and, there yeah. and I, it's so once again it's something that it's, a, it's one of those ideas you hear it and you go well yes that does make sense but it, it's just it's once you once you get it and use it as a filter um and this is what i love about what dennis um did with you in that situation is they they argue in the book that it's like in our legal system there's a uh, due process and it's like you know what yeah. as a as a member of the community i i i, w- I won't necessarily be happy if someone who, you know, if a criminal gets off because our, you know, police have dropped the ball somewhere, but I, at the end of the day, I want to see due process. And for me, if, if, if our courts and like, if we are at, at a, if we're following a due process through our, through the police, through the courts, then even if it's a very, it's actually when there's a lack of due process that's when people get very up in arms and it's the same thing in an organization and they point out the fact that what people really want is a fair fair process it's like and that's where the three e's come in if you take away one of those e's you fail to engage then people feel like it's unfair i didn't get a voice at the table but if you don't explain it then it's unfair because i don't understand why and if you don't give clear expectations it's an unfair process because well I, i i sort of understand the decision but i I haven't then understood what I'm meant to do with that. And now I'm getting in trouble or, you know, and there's that lack of clarity and, um, and it's such a simple term, but I love that idea of fair. And that's what he did with you. He, he, he gave you a fair process so that you were able to go, okay, yeah, I see this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which helped me then to to deliver uh, the message to the teachers that they didn't want to hear, but everyone kind of nods their head and goes, yeah, yeah, I get it. I see now. Yeah, that's right.
0: Oh, well, that's um, what I would love to, before we jump into Leadership Express, I, I've had so much fun already chatting uh, with you, Malcolm. I'd love to invite you back for another episode at some point, because I, I've really wanted to chat about growth mindset and how do you empower people. And I'm looking at the time going, I, I want to really give those um, the time <laughs> they deserve. So Sometime down the track, it'd be great to, to maybe do a, an episode where we really zoom in on those things.
1: Absolutely. Great.
0: So let me let me do Leadership Express. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and just give me sort of the first <laughs> thought or sentence, or you can have a moment to pause if you want as well because I, I am <laughs> uh, just sort of giving you these on the spot. Uh, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, I did set you up with this one earlier, so this is a freebie. What is a, <laughs> what is a, what is a book that you've gifted a lot to other people?
1: my book that i've gifted a lot is bounce by matthew saeed uh matthew Said is a journalist now for the times newspaper in the uk but he was previously um the uh british representative in the olympics for table tennis in the early 90s and you can also hear him on the podcast uh, fred sav and the ping pong guy he is the ping pong guy and fred is is freddy flintoff the cricketer uh, so it's all grow- growth mindset and it's brilliant. I recommend it thoroughly.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay, bounce. Oh, I'm going to check that out. That sounds, uh, as we were t- talking about earlier, I love, I love all things sports. Wonderful. What was his name yeah. again? One more time.
1: Uh, Matthew Saeed, S-Y-E-D. Two brilliant books. One is Black Box Thinking, which is probably the first one you should read, Black Box Thinking, Matthew Saeed. Yep. And the second one is Bounce, also Matthew Saeed. Fantastic. Ooh. Black bounce yeah, is more growth, growth mindset, and bounce is more about um, talent and ability. Love it!
0: Any great podcasts that you're listening to at the moment, or other sources uh, right now? You're really enjoying reading, watching, listening to.
1: Um, apart from you, um, <laughs> thank you. Oh, good grief! Um, I, I always listen to Dylan William uh, who's an educator. So that's not too useful for everybody. Um, but, no, that's but okay. I listen to of him because he's listening. provocative. Yeah. Because he's provocative and I don't yes. agree with everything he says. So I like that.
0: Dylan William. Okay, great. Uh, what is a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or, or been reminded of?
1: That's a very good question. Um, my goodness, I'm reminded of stuff all the time. Um, making <laughs> assumptions. I think, I think sometimes uh, I can be quick to make an assumption based on my previous life experience. It's almost like stereotyping. This person thinks that because of this, and then you ask them and they don't. Um, so yeah, don't make assumptions. Find out, listen. It's all about listening.
0: That's great, and that's why I love uh, any personality assessments with teams. Sometimes people think, why would you do that? Are you really going to do a deep dive? on?" But it's like half the time it's just about in a room or even virtually. My favourite right now, which I talk about a lot on the podcast, is Working Genius by Patrick Lencioni and the Table Group, which which looks at how we get work done. And half of the breakthrough, maybe even more, I'd say probably 90% of the breakthrough is looking at the people you work with And realizing, like to to put it bluntly, we've all been there where you someone misses a deadline, someone drops a ball, someone uh, doesn't finish something the way we would, and we assume uh, they didn't, they just didn't try, or even they're just not a nice person at some point. And it's actually realizing, ah, okay, maybe they're not a terrible person. Maybe they're just wired differently to me. Um, And that's yeah, working genius. I, I, I think that's
1: wonderful that's a wonderful message because every workplace has people who are so different and it's the valuing the different viewpoints and the different angles. And, you know, some people might say, Oh, such and such has some strange ideas. And actually it's, it's the variety that we, we need in any team. As I'm sure everyone would agree, you, you've got to have those people that think a little bit differently. We, we can't yeah. get involved in groupthink. And that's one of the keys to putting together a, a leadership team, isn't it? Um, Having people who will stand up and and disagree. And I'm lucky here at Trinity that we have a leadership team who will disagree very openly and very frequently. And that makes me much, much better at what I do.
0: Oh, I love it. Well said. What is a time management productivity tip or a tool or resource in that space you use?
1: (laughs) A Time management tip. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I, I mean, it's, very, it's a very basic thing, but um, I, I set times in the day when I'll do emailing, and then the rest of the day I don't. So I set a time where I'll do the re- email responses, and then the rest of the day I can work on stuff that needs to get done.
0: I think that's great. And I know that has been said different places, but... Uh, I think more than ever, particularly remote work, and the, I think it's it's a good reminder for people, no matter what industry you're in, to try to find some some version of that. Uh, all the research seems to to point to it. So, yeah. no, thank you, thank like, you for sharing likewise,
1: that. Likewise, likewise in the evenings, if we talk about work life balance, how do we not get sucked down the uh, the the angle of constantly checking emails and WhatsApps? Yeah. I I uh, We I agree, have to discipline so. ourselves more than anything else.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's and it it is different to to years back. Um, what is a great piece of advice you've received in life in leadership at some point? Looking back, there was someone who just uh, you know, gave you a, a piece of advice that that
1: that is really memorable. Ah, uh, a great piece of advice that I remember.
0: Yeah, it doesn't need to be the most okay. deep or profound thing.
1: Um, have fun. Enjoy have it. Have fun. I, ha- yes. I had a couple of colleagues I had at the IB. Um, what's the point of doing it if you're not enjoying it? Um, in fact, one of one of my colleagues, Richard, who's from Brisbane, as it happens, um, yeah. is currently working in Brisbane as well, um, Enjoy it, enjoy What's the point of doing a job if you don't enjoy it? What gets you out of bed in the morning is is knowing that you've got meaningful, enjoyable challenges ahead and enjoy it. It's, it's you know, if you've striven all of your life, if that's the right word, to become a leader, then enjoy it when you get there.
0: Yeah, that's, I, I, I was going to look for opportunity to talk about cricket. Um, but Usman, Usman Khawaja recently, who's now based here in Queensland, he recently came back out of, out of nowhere for the Australian cricket team, got pulled in at the yes. last moment because of COVID. Um, uh, Travis had had to sit out because he he had COVID and he came in. And one of the things that really struck me was, uh, I don't know, just a sense in how he played and, and watching his, his family, like his, his, uh, his wife with their with their daughter um, sort of doing a Lion King and lifting her up. She was so excited when he scored a century. And the thing that really struck me was here's a guy that might have thought, no, because he's 35. I probably had my time in, in cricket as at an Australian, you know, at a test level. And the thing that, yeah, of, of that whole situation, it was how he seemed to enjoy himself in this highly intense situation that really sat with me as interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and thank you for the reminder of his wonderful two innings, actually. Um, yes. Yeah, thanks for that. But, yeah, we've got to have fun. Otherwise, what's the point?
0: I agree. Okay, a movie or TV show that really impacted you?
1: Um, Schindler's List. Uh, I mean, wow! Yeah, it's you know, a great movie, isn't it? It, it, it? It's always always have a big. It's the one that's always had the biggest impact on me, and and again, I think in, in a lot of the leadership positions I've had, I've come into organisations where you have to respect the past um, to to move forwards. And I think with yes. Schindler's List, again, it's about respecting and embracing and learning from the past, and and ho- hoping that the world can move forwards. And obviously, that's uh, far more significant and serious issue. But I think in, in, in life, we, we have to learn um, and, and never repeat mistakes as we move forward. But it's a beautiful film anyway. It is.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it is definitely a beautiful film. And uh, if, if anyone out there hasn't watched it, then just a, a movie that challenges you around leading and around values and around the value of people doesn't get much, you know, there's not a movie that does it much better than than unpacking no. the, the story of no. Schindler's List. Incredible. Uh, now, once again, I don't know if you can think of this off, off the top of your head, but are there any quotes that you're, or is there is there a quote that you really love or you're particularly fond of for education or for leadership or life?
1: Um, good grief. God, I, I've always had so many educational quotes <laughs> that i've used time after time after time and all these great growth mindset quotes and and here we are right now i can't remember any of them
0: <laughs> well why are you thinking uh, a couple of you know
1: are you thought one it's 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 all those it, all those things about um you know every every uh every experience is a learning opportunity every um it's about failing well. You know, anything, again, mm. I've got a great friend called Lance King who, who's uh, a Kiwi, and, yeah. and he talks about, you know, you think about Jack Ma who talks about, I failed, you know, my job application to McDonald's, I failed to get into university, I failed to get into the police. But <laughs> without, without failure, we never learn. And, and that's the essence of, if I was to come up with a quote and do it more accurately, I'd probably be quoting Jack Ma and talking about how from Alibaba about yeah. failure is the way we learn.
0: Oh, that's excellent. That definitely, that definitely counts. That's a, And that's a wonderful story. Uh, it reminds me of a list I, I saw somewhere on, I think it was on social media um, that, that sort of another angle on that is is encouraging people who might be a bit older and there might be those listening who haven't really stepped into a leadership role, but for some reason you're, leaning into it now and wondering and, and wondering, oh, maybe I'm too old. But there's this great list of these people who have really stepped, like a, the one that comes to mind, there's many more, but is about Morgan Freeman and how he, even though he was an actor yeah. uh, through his life, his first really major role was in his 50s. And I just, really, I, yeah, yeah. Like he, he had had other roles before, but that was his breakthrough. And I just love that because I think, None of us think of that now. We just think, "Oh, Morgan Freeman. He's been around forever, just be doing it, just being yeah. incredible at his craft." But he he was he was working as an actor, and but his breakthrough was in his fifties. And it's um, and uh, and just that encouragement to pick yourself up again. And if you feel passionate about that, to embrace failure and. Um, uh, yeah, so that that just when you mentioned Jack Ma failing, uh, you know his application at McDonald's, it just reminded me of that. I can't remember who else was on that list, but if if people Google it, um, it's it's really inspiring. There are so many people who've done incredible things very late in life. Um, that that's oh wonderful. Just, yeah, it's, it's really it's it's amazing. Um, it, what's a tip for finding and keeping great talent?
1: Um, to, to help them to feel valued by, by ensuring that they are part of the decision making process, by, by giving them opportunity. It's about opportunity and bring those, those people with less experience through, giving them opportunity, helping them to feel empowered. And then they, they buy into both the vision, but also, um, the way that you're, you're going forward. So I would say, um is bringing people in, empowering them in both decision-making and actually being a part of projects. Um, if you've got a number of initiatives going, you know, seeing how many people want to volunteer to be part of initiatives and uh, and giving them their, their leadership opportunities in that way. Because as a leader, you know, you, you've only got so many hats, you can't wear every hat, and it's about delegation and ensuring that, um, you know, the, the load is spread and that you get the right people doing the right things. What, there, there is that great phrase about the the right people on the train or the wrong people on the wrong train or whatever it is, something like that. It's getting the right people on the right train.
0: Yeah, getting the right people on the right train. Um, I, I, really, I really love that. Uh, there, there is a
1: quote there. There is a quote. I can't remember it exactly.
0: The... Um, I, I just, uh, by the way, I just found, um, if anyone's interested in that, just because I know there's nothing worse than hearing something and thinking, and then you can't find it. If you look up inspiring list, uh, famous people got their first, got their, when they got their big break, something around that, you can Google it, but yeah, Morgan Freeman was 50, 52. The other one that I was going to tell you, which is I just, these facts really fascinate me more than anything, but, um, uh. Samuel Jackson didn't get his first movie role till he was forty-one. Alan Rickman gave up graphic wow. design to pursue acting at forty-two. And Stan Lee, the comic uh you know, who wrote comic books and recently uh passed away in the past couple yeah. of years, uh didn't release his first big comic book until he was thirty-eight. And uh so there you wow. go. Anyone out there who's feeling like they're maybe too old, particularly for leadership, I hope you're feeling inspired to, to give it a go. Uh two Fantastic, more yeah. Two more questions, Malcolm. <laughs> We're nearly there. Yeah. If you could only give one piece <laughs> of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Listen. That's good. And you're not the first person Simple to say that, that. and I love that.
1: Um, because a, a, lot of, a lot of leaders think it's about pontificating and I, I, it comes back to the lesson I learned from Dave Monk. It's not that I've got this and I do this and do what I say and do what I say listen, listen to what people need, listen to what people want, be empathetic and, and be humble.
0: Wonderful advice. Advice I wish I had taken on board when I was uh, in, uh, you know, taken on board more deeply in my twenties. <laughs> what is <the> best- <laughs> yes, I wish I had too. <laughs> What's the best thing that you're doing at the moment as a leader uh, and, and, you know, as a, strategy and team and what's the best thing you're doing at the moment at Serenity that that other leaders should know
1: about yeah I mean there's such potential here at Serenity. as I say beautiful campus outside the city really lots of potential some fantastic students parents Uh, so what we've done is we've put together a a strategic plan it's not easy to say that with my my new set of teeth no it's a strategic plan (laughs) for the next five to ten years And what we've done, is what's great is not necessarily the the plan itself, but the manner in which we've conducted the strategic planning. Uh, Every teacher, all sorts of non-teaching staff, parents, students, uh, all sorts of people involved with it, so that it genuinely captures uh, the needs and desires of this community moving forward. And that means that whoever is in the leadership positions has a great roadmap Towards the future, be it me or anybody else down the line, um, you know, obviously I intend driving behind this for for some time, uh, but you know, down the line, it's got to be um, people proof. So, so that that's what I'm most proud of and excited by at the moment is our strategic planning process and the the community involvement
0: and uh is that available publicly for people to see the strategic plan if, if people are interested in checking it out not yet
1: we're going to be publishing it um in april
0: great i just know there's a there are a lot of leaders who anything anyone like me have been burnt from doing strategic plans themselves or being part of processes where it's you do it once a year you put it away in the drawer and and, and so whenever i hear ah. someone doing a really great strategic planning process um, I always love to direct people uh, to that because I think good strategic planning is, is actually quite, quite rare. And if I know there'll be listeners like me who'll be going, oh, I'd love to check that out. So um, that's a good uh, segue yeah, yeah. To, that, to the last point, which is where can people find you? If people do want to connect with you, um, it, it, where can people find uh, Serenity online um, and connect with you, LinkedIn, etc.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, Malcolm Nicholson, no H and Nicholson. That's the old Isle of Skye spelling. Um, so LinkedIn, I'm on, uh, what's the, Twitter, at Mal Nicholson. Srinity, um, we're on Instagram. Um, I have no idea what our handle is on Instagram. Um, <laughs> but you can you can find Srinity anywhere. And, and our website is sis.edu.in. And I would welcome anyone who's visiting India to pop by and say hello. As I said, Hyderabad's a wonderful happening city and we're just outside in the countryside. And uh, I feel, you know, very fortunate to be in this, this great community.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. I know you will have loved today's episode because I have... Uh, I've just enjoyed it so much and gotten so much out of it. And, and I always uh, think of myself as listener number, number one, you know, the first person who gets a chance to listen and, and it's been great. So uh, thank you to our listeners firstly, and and don't forget, I also have the leadership question of the day podcast, where I give you a different question every day to put a stone in your shoe <laughs> around leadership and the John O'White leadership podcast, where it's me talking about things like three tips for casting vision and, and those sort of things. Uh, but the main person I really want to thank, uh, for being so generous and for just telling such great stories and sharing vulnerably about, about your life. It's, it's been a real joy. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on and uh, being on the podcast, Malcolm.
1: Thank you. Uh, really enjoyed it. Great to, great to be part of it. Thanks very much.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership.